Hey everyone. So this is kind of a unique episode because I'm going to be doing a series on the mystics. I'm going to have a big highlight, big spotlight on Catholic mystical saints in the coming weeks, in the coming months. It's going to be a very long series. And St. John of the Cross is the quintessential mystical saint. However, this is his feast day, and I've been inspired a lot by St. John of the Cross, especially this poem, this writing, the spiritual canticle. So I didn't want to get on and, and do a huge bio on St. John of the Cross because we need to first do St. Teresa of Avila, his teacher. We need to do some other things before we get into John of the Cross. But I wanted to honor him on his feast day by talking about my favorite work of his. So this episode, we talk about the spiritual canticle, to, which to me is the penultimate expression of St. John's theology, and it's just a simple poem. So we talk about that, but we also talk about mysticism. We also talk about the process, the series that you do within Carmelite spirituality to unite with God. Of course, it's kind of a high level because I do want to save some of that for the upcoming series. Nonetheless, I did this episode as a love letter to St. John of the Cross in this beautiful work. So we're going to go through it, we're going to talk about it, and I hope you leave this episode just with an appetite to dive a little deeper into some of these mystics, especially the great St. John of the Cross. So we're going to open with a recitation of the first 13 stanzas of the Spiritual Canticle, and then we're going to dive in even more deeply. I hope you enjoy. Where have you hidden, beloved, and left me moaning? You fled like the stag after wounding me. I went out calling you, but you were gone. Shepherds, you who go up through the sheep folds to the hill, if by chance you see him I love most, tell him that I am sick, I suffer, and I die. Seeking my love, I will head for the mountains and for watersides. I will not gather flowers nor fear wild beasts. I will go beyond strong men and frontiers. O oh, woods and thickets planted by the hand of my beloved, O oh, green meadow coated bright with flowers, tell me, has he passed by you? Pouring out a thousand graces, he passed these groves in haste, and having looked at them with his image alone, he clothed them in beauty. <sighs> oh, who has the power to heal me? Now wholly surrender yourself. Do not send me any more messengers. They cannot tell me what I must hear. All who are free tell me a thousand graceful things of you, and they all wound me more, and they leave me dying of a I-don't-know-what behind their stammering. How do you endure, O oh life, not living where you live and being brought near death by the arrows you receive from that which you conceive of your beloved? Why, since you wounded this heart, don't you heal it? And why, since you stole it from me, do you leave it so and fail to carry off what you have stolen? 
extinguish these miseries. Since no one else can stamp them out, may my eyes behold you because you are their light, and I would open them to you alone. Reveal your presence, and may the vision of your beauty be my death. For the sickness of love is not cured, except by your very presence and image. O spring-like crystal, if only on your silvered-over faces you would suddenly form the eyes that I have desired, which I bear sketched deep, deep within my heart. Withdraw them, beloved. I am taking flight. Peace be with you and with your spirit. Welcome to another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. The Spiritual Canticle is my favorite work of St. John of the Cross, and it's not because of its deep insights, which are there, but because of its simplicity. It's not this philosophical treatise. It's just a poem. And yet, this poem is the cornerstone of this saint's work. And he's not just any saint. He is the doctor of the church when it comes to mysticism. So doctors of the church are certain saints who the church has deemed very, very special in certain ways. And St. John of the Cross is the doctor of all mysticism and Catholicism. Therefore, this poem even though it's just a simple poem, it's of the same importance and of the same brilliance as the Summa Theologica by St. Thomas Aquinas or the works of St. Augustine, who, for better or for worse, has such a large imprint on Catholicism, or St. Jerome, who compiled the Bible itself into Latin. So all of these very philosophical, theological thinkers. They're doctors of the church, but so is St. John of the Cross, who is a poet. And I find that very beautiful. And you might be thinking, well, St. Therese of Lisieux is also a doctor of the church, and she is also a very simple writer that has to do with beauty and, and simplicity. And St. John of the Cross is complex. He is very heady and, and theological and philosophical. But this text is his most approachable, because like I said, it's just a simple poem. And St. John of the Cross is notoriously complex. He's most associated with The Dark Night of the Soul, which is a book on purgations that occur on someone's spiritual journey. Also, The Ascent of Mount Carmel, which is a very heady theological, philosophical text on mysticism and union with God. But the spiritual canticle is just a poem. But even though it's just a simple poem, it has every component and every facet of St. John's work throughout it in just a few stanzas. 
And St. John wrote this poem while he was being held captive by his own brothers, his own brothers in the Carmelite order who were frustrated with the reforms he was trying to make. So they locked him in this small closet and there wasn't even enough room for him to lay down. He had to sleep standing up and they only let him out once a day for a meal. And when they let him out, they would flog him in front of the other brothers trying to get him to stop his reforms. And in his brokenheartedness, in this betrayal, his will kept going, and he still had this trust in God. And from this brokenness, from this dark night of the soul that he had, poetry began to flow from him. And eventually a guard was kind enough to give him papers so he could write this poetry out because he was just saying it and speaking it. And the guard was moved enough to let him write it. And eventually he did escape. Legend would say it was from an angel, much like St. Peter. Or it could have been the same kind-hearted guard finally had enough and, and let him out. But when he escaped, he resumed his work as a spiritual advisor for a convent of Carmelite nuns, doing the same kind of work. And it wasn't until two years later after his escape that he was asked to write commentary on the poem. So he wrote it two years before. And if you look at the commentary on the spiritual canticle, you'll have one stanza, one line, one sentence, but he will write 15 pages of commentary on the mystical elements, the theological elements. But what I appreciate is he even says that I am writing this two years later, and I am writing what I'm feeling after I'm reading it now. But in that moment, it was beyond words. In that moment, my heart was just pouring this out. So I still cannot convey the depth of this. It will still not be the same as what I felt. And I, I love that because that is true mysticism. Words can never adequately explain God and the divine. But also in him saying that, he leaves a door open. He leaves a door open for you and I to maybe read a section and interpret it a little bit differently. Going back to the very famous and recommended spiritual practice of Lexio Divina, where you look at a holy text and you see what it says to you, not what it's about philosophically, what it's about Christologically, what it's about historically, but what is this saying to your soul? And in John saying that caveat of this will never be fully what I felt, this commentary will never do it justice, he leaves the door open for you and I to sit and meditate and chew upon these words and see how it speaks to us in our own lives as well. So I suppose before I get into a very, very, very simple overview of the spiritual canticle, I should explain or discuss what mysticism is. Mysticism is a word right now that I feel like people use very, very casually. And thus, it's lost a little bit of its meaning. Sometimes now when we think of mysticism or something as mystical, it's just a little, a little strange, a little spooky, a little otherworldly, and it can be. But mysticism, from a theological standpoint, a philosophical standpoint, it means to unite with God in some way, to transcend this reality and tap into another, to set foot into another. And in the realm of Catholic and Christian mysticism, it's a lot about love. And we're going to get into how to pray, what is prayer, what is mysticism in a Catholic lens in this podcast. So I'll save some of it. But mysticism 
is fairly similar across world religions. Uh, Christian and Catholic mysticism, I would also say likely, I, I will also say any Abrahamic uh, mysticism, so Judaism, Islam, uh, there's a little more of an emphasis on love. So it's going beyond our ego and self, but when we do, it's to unite with a loving God that we can have a personal relationship with. There are some schools of Eastern thought, some schools of Buddhism, some schools of Hinduism, where God, Brahma, or this ultimate reality is seen as not personal, impersonal. I will push back on that a little bit because there are sects of Buddhism and Hinduism where God is a little more personal, uh, but that's usually the divider. Um, so when we talk about mysticism from St. John of the Cross and pretty much anyone, it's about that union with the divine. And like I said, whole series on mysticism coming soon. And the spiritual canticle of St. John of the Cross is about that union. It's about the spiritual journey of finding God. And within it, all of the imagery is about a bride looking for a bridegroom. So this is very similar, not just similar, it is in the Song of Songs in the Bible, where the soul is a bride, God is the bridegroom. Uh, same thing. And the soul is looking for her beloved. So the soul is looking for God. And there's all this wonderful imagery with nature, with, with God being a, a stag, with going past the flowers. We're going to get into some of my favorite lines in a minute. But you have all of this about the journey of finding and uniting with the divine, with the bridegroom. So here are some of my favorite lines from the canticle, and then I want to get into two key kind of takeaways for you to meditate on when exploring this text. Um, and like I said, there are pages upon pages upon pages of St. John of the Cross's commentary. I'm going to give you my perspective, which is like a very watered-down version of St. John of the Cross's. I wouldn't say watered-down, it's just one piece in, in a, you know, a basket of millions. But that first line is the most notorious. Where have you hidden, beloved, and left me moaning? You fled like the stag after wounding me. I went out calling you, but you were gone. This concept of wounds is something we're going to talk about in a bit. But this first line is about having an experience of God. And again, later we're going to talk about that can be in many ways. It could be an ongoing relationship that you've had where one day you, you go and sit in your place and you wait on God to come and he does not come. Or it can be you had this awakening, you had this epiphany, you had this moment, and you want more. You want more. You want that mystical experience again, but you can't find it. And then another that I think is, is the most practical that I don't think a lot of people talk about is you know that there is something deeper. You are overwhelmed by the beauty in the world, the beauty of nature, the beauty of one another, the beauty of the creatures, the planet, of all of the transcendentals, the good, the true, and the beautiful. You, you know it, and you feel it, but you know there's more. You're wounded by the beauty of the material, and you're so wounded by this and love that you want more. So give me more. Let me transcend further. That is also being wounded by God. The next line is, is one of my favorites just 
for the end. <laughs> Shepherds, you who go up through the sheep folds to the hill, if by chance you see him, I love most. Tell him that I am sick, I suffer, and I die. It's so dramatic that I just love it. But this next line, you start to get more of the, the symbolism. Seeking my love, I will head for the mountains and for watersides. I will not gather flowers nor fear wild beasts. I will go beyond strong men and frontiers. And this is one of the stanzas where St. John of the Cross has like eight pages for these three sentences. But for this, like I said before, you can be wounded by the beauty and creation and wanting more. But now, now you're going beyond it, right? Now we will not stop to gather the flowers. And we're also not going to fear the wild beasts. We're going to go beyond. So we used to be in love with the flowers, and we still are in love with the flowers. But the flowers led me to the brilliance and the beauty of God. But now I want more. It's pointing to God, but show me where you are. Why are you still hidden? I am wounded. I am longing. I need you, God. Show me where you are hiding. And of course, you have death before, and now you have, I won't fear wild beasts. I, I have no fear. I have no fear of death. I have no fear of danger. I just want you. The next two stanzas, stanzas four and five, it's more of that. More of that nature and the world is showing your beauty, but there's more. And again, this is something that I have read theologians and, and people write about, but it's, it's never front and center in his work, but I think it's so there. So you have, O woods and thickets planted by the hand of my beloved, O green meadows coated bright with flowers, tell me, has he passed by you? So these things are reminding me of the brilliance of God. Where has he gone? And he continues, pouring out a thousand graces, he passed these groves in haste. And having looked at them, with his image alone, clothed them in beauty. With his image alone, he clothed them in beauty. So these images of this beautiful meadow with flowers, this is the same beauty as my beloved. But there's more. Where is he? I don't just want the beauty. I, want the, I don't just want the essence of the beauty. I want the creator of the beauty as well. Show me where he resides. And just a few more, and then we're going to talk about some other things. But this is my second favorite line in the spiritual canticle, at least in the opening section. Ah, who has the power to heal me? Now wholly surrender yourself. Do not send me any more messengers. They cannot tell me what I must hear. Do not send me any more messengers. Do not send me any more messengers. When it comes to God... When it comes to the mysterious, otherworldly, unfathomable greatness of God, don't send me a messenger because they cannot tell me what God is. For they're just human like me. The priests, the teachers, the clergymen, they may point to God, but they can't, they can't tell me about God. Only God can tell me and show me about God. Do not send me these messengers. I love that. Because a messenger is just a messenger. Even Buddha said that what I am giving you is a raft. And once you get to the other side, let the raft go. I am just a raft. And oftentimes, these writers, these saints, these teachers, these gurus, they're just a messenger. So don't send me any more. 
I've gone beyond them. I want you alone, God. And this next has my second favorite. All who are free tell me a thousand graceful things of you, and they all wound me more and leave me dying of I don't know what behind their stammering. So again, pointing back to these free things, free things being nature, creatures, the beauty and brilliance of it all, they wound me more. They just make me want you more. And they leave me dying of, and this is my favorite, a, ah, I don't know what behind their stammering. Because they cannot adequately explain or express God either. It's just stammering. It's not this, not this, but also this, but also not this. God is beyond it all. So it's this, this stammering when we even try to explain God. Amazing. And then you just have a whole lot of more of that. How do you endure, O life, not living where you live and being brought near death by the arrows you receive from that which you conceive of your beloved? Why, since you wounded this heart, won't you heal it? Extinguish these miseries. Reveal your presence. Withdraw them, beloved. I am taking flight. It's, it's just this being wounded by God. It's this yearning. And eventually, the bride does find the bridegroom. The next part of the stanza, actually. Then they begin a dialogue, and they begin that union. But the main thing to meditate on this text is the hidden God. The bride is wounded in love by the bridegroom. She has this intense longing for the groom. She says it's a wound, it's a pain that must be healed. She goes and finds her God, her beloved, who can heal this wound. Only he can heal this wound. It's important to note here that the bridegroom, the groom, God, he's not dead. He's just hidden. It's like hide-and-seek. You know that they're there, they're just hiding. So where is this hidden God? And St. John of the Cross would go on in his commentary in the canticle that God dwells in our innermost soul. Oh, then soul most beautiful among all creatures, so anxious to know the dwelling place of your beloved, so you may go in search of him and be united in him. Now we are telling you that you yourself are his dwelling place and his secret inner room and hiding place. He goes on to clarify that hidden room is your soul. So the way to achieve union with God isn't through these exterior means. Even though good and beautiful external means, they point our minds towards God. In the canticle, it's all about seeing your beauty, God, it's just wounding me more. So the external is important. He's not saying that the external creatures or nature, they're ugly. No, he's saying that those outside things point to God and helps us fall in love with God, but there's something more that we crave. And knowing there is something more, it wounds us. So how do we do it? How do we find this inner room of our soul? And we'll get into that in a second, at least a very high-level version. But it's important to note that St. John of the Cross and most mystics say that the method can also be a distraction and eventually you have to go beyond that method. Just like the flowers might bring you closer to God, your rosary may do it as well. But to paraphrase Miser Eckhart, another mystic, the problem with using tools in prayer and meditation is that we become very good at the tool, we become very bad at the prayer and meditation. Eventually, we must go beyond those devices as well. And of course, John does teach a system to get there. And 
We will be doing a full series on John of the Cross, his theology, as well as his teacher, Teresa of Avila. So I'll save the bulk of how you pray and how you find the hidden God of the soul for those episodes. But both John and Teresa do teach this. They teach that there are various ways of preparation. There's the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way. The purgative is freeing ourselves from spiritual blockages. You might call spiritual blockage another name, which is sin. There's the which, going back to sin for a second, sin simply means being far away from God. It's not necessarily this checklist of right and wrong, good and bad, venial versus mortal. It's, it's things that separate us from God. And I'm, I'm making that delineation, one, because it causes unnecessarily scrupulous thinking of everything as a sin, but also I'm saying that because Things can push someone further from God and, and not another. You know, some person can enjoy drinking with friends. Another person cannot. So there are things that might not necessarily be a sin or not a sin, but they might separate us from feeling close to God. Of course, he's also talking about the mortal sins that we can all agree are pretty bad and probably are not good for our soul and communion with the divine. So killing unnecessarily lying, any kind of immortal behavior that is universal, that too. But the purgative way is cleansing ourselves of that, and the level of that is going to depend on mystic to mystic. Remember John and Teresa were writing for cloistered nuns in the 14th century, uh, but purgation is the first step. The second would be the illuminative way, and that's filling our minds actively with prayer and meditating on holy text. This can be that external source we talked about. Might have mentioned the going beyond sources a little too early, uh, because the illuminative way can be, and probably should be, an external source. Um, meditating Lexio Divina with a holy text, uh, the rosary while we're contemplating, and then... Once we get to the next stage, it is the unitive way. That's the final way in which we begin to have union with God, in which now we are at a place in our spirituality where we can simply sit in prayer and just feel the outpouring of God's love. There's a lot more. Essentially, the illuminative way can also be what's called infused recollection. So that is when... We are feeling God's presence and energy and love, but it's because we just did this external method. We just did this meditation on the gospel. We just did a novena prayer. We just did a rosary. And we start to get comfortable with this feeling, in a sense, and we start to feel this. And it's because of we are infusing ourselves with this illumination. And eventually, we can start getting into that feeling of, of union without these tools. So being able to get into that state of infused recollection, infused prayer, is part of the unitive way. And again, there's, there's actually five more steps after this, uh, which you get even more deep in the union to where you don't need the external tools at all. Also, there are instances where you do not have control over getting infused. Um, you, you start having that prayerful experience all the time or away from the altar. There's a lot there, but essentially what you need to know is purgation, removing the blockages, illumination, some kind of active meditation, a rosary, something like that, and eventually 
unitive way, which has a lot of caveats and steps. I think it's also important to say that the stages can come and go. You're, you're not, it's not like once you're in the unitive stage, you're always in the unitive stage. Sometimes you always need to go back to that purgation. You always sometimes, I'm saying sometimes and always, oftentimes though, you'll have to go back to the purgation in the illuminative way, so on and so forth. But I will say one could argue that the more you spend in that illuminative way, the easier it is to, to make that journey into the unitive and this is very complex stuff. So again, I want to talk about the spiritual canticle and then we're going to get into the complexities as best as I can in future episodes. But I'm bringing all this up because you have that purgation, that illumination and that union throughout the spiritual canticle and throughout all of St. John's work. Um, St. John of the Cross is synonymous with the dark night of the soul, which is about a dark night of the soul. And this is often believed and discussed as a bout of depression or anxiety, and it can be, and it is. But the dark night of the soul is actually an intensified version of the purgative way. It's almost a new element of the purgative way. There's the dark night of the senses, and then there's the dark night of the soul. Like I said, there, there's layers here. Uh, but it's, it's a very large purgative way. Uh, it's about someone who sits down as they always do with God because they've been practicing contemplation and meditation maybe all of their lives at this point. And when they sit down, God is not there. They are wounded by his love, right? They, they are wounded by God's love. They are used to it, but God is not there. And they have this dark night trying to find the joy, that presence, that love they are used to from their beloved. So this isn't just a night of darkness for darkness sake, but it's this hidden God inviting his beloved to come look elsewhere for me. Or one could say this is God weaning the saint, weaning the soul out of the external, out of the graces, so you will find him and see him in all things. Come and look for me in new ways, through new experiences. Come find me elsewhere. And eventually we're going to drop those to go even deeper. But there's something in those areas he's inviting you to that's going to illuminate us so we can begin again in new ways. So this hidden God is the first main takeaway. And how we find God is through this purgation, illumination, and union. And the second, we've kind of already talked about, but the second takeaway is what I like to call the theology of the wounds. And this idea, this concept of being wounded by God's love is so rampant in Christian mysticism. I can actually think of more saints that have mentioned some kind of wound of God than have not. You have St. John of the Cross being one of them, but you also have his teacher, St. Teresa of Avila, right? The ecstasy of St. Teresa. It's the very famous sculpture and painting. St. Catherine of Siena. Uh, St. Francis de Sales is one that's not mentioned a lot, but he is one of those who was said to his heart was pierced by an angel or by God himself. St. Um, Philip Neri is another that's not often discussed. You have St. Faustina, St. Hildegard von Bingen, uh, so many, dozens more. In these divine wounds, especially with medieval mystics, it was symbolic of this immense love and this immense longing that St. John speaks about. 
So alongside the hidden God, I enjoy this emphasis on the wounds because you see it everywhere. And these wounds reinforce God's beingness in all things. I think I just made up the word beingness. But the beauty of creation, it inspires us to go deeper into union with God. That's kind of a, a major takeaway here from, from this episode. Um, but that wound, um, the first wound in the canticle, but the first wound we often feel when we fall in love with God is often because we're drawn by beauty. We're drawn by this otherness that we can sense because we see it in the beauty of creation. We feel it in the beauty of a song. We see it in the beauty of artwork. It inspires us to go deeper. In the beauty of the world, it wounds us in a way that we call out to God for healing. We want something, this longing. Heal us so we can find you more. Show us what's beyond this. So the first wound of St. John of the Cross is that it's that glimpse of the divine that keeps you longing for more. Like I said, I do like the idea of it's God's beingness in all things that we can sense, and that is the first wound. I actually think that lines up quite well with the poetry. He doesn't spend a lot of time saying that in the commentary, but it's right there. I don't think he has to say it, right? That line we, we talked about where I pass by your nature and it just wounds me more because it reminds me of you. It's, it's right there. He doesn't need to comment on it. But also it could be, like we said, you're sitting and developing this relationship with God and you're, you're getting these graces. You're having these maybe mystical experiences and you want more. You need more. It also could just be a longing in general to want to know God. So that's the first wound. Then the second wound, which we didn't talk about, we didn't read it in the spiritual canticle, but it's there. We learn that the beloved, the stag, God, is wounded too. And this second wound can also be seen as our realization that all creation is showcasing the love of God. We see God's love through this creation. We see it through the mountains and lonely wooded valleys, the supper that refreshes and deepens love, which he says in the canticle. It shows us that God wants us too. Later in the canticle, the divine God even says it though. He says, I, I want you too. But John's commentary is insistent. She feels that all things are God. She being the soul, she being the bride, she feels that all things are God. So we find out that the wounded stag is also longing for us and is reinforced by the beauty of nature, by the flowers that we pass by in those opening stanzas. And then you have the third wound. Now, he does mention the final, what I'm calling the final wound, in the canticle, but he speaks of it more directly in his book, The Living Flame of Love. And this wound is the transformative wound. To quote Living Flame of Love, O sweet cartery, O delightful wound, O gentle hand, O delicate touch, that tastes of eternal life and pays every debt, in killing you, changed death to life. In killing you, you change death to life. That means a spiritual transformation. When we stop looking for you in external sources, and we do not put our joy and worth in these external things, the final wound is cauterized by the gentle hand of God. And this touch of God is transformative and healing, and it does not remove the soul from creation. I think that is one thing people get wrong. They think when we have that union, we're removed from the material. But no, we see 
that there's divinity in the material as well, especially in the nature, especially in the animals. That is part of God's love. And our soul is a creature too. So our soul is the sameness as all of this creation. To quote commentary from theologians, this is from St. John of the Cross, on this section, the effect of this delightful wound then is that the soul is now able to experience all of creation as God does, as a sea of love. So this final wound is the transformative wound. So that's kind of my off-the-cuff love letter to the spiritual canticle. Um, and, you know, it's going to be some time before we do a full-on episode for St. John of the Cross. Why? Because we, ha- we have to do some some legwork before we get there. We need to talk about what is mysticism and death. We need to talk about what is prayer, you know. Um, Jesus went out to pray. Why? Why would God pray? So much fun stuff we get to. Of course, before we get to St. John of the Cross, we have to talk about his teacher, St. Teresa of Avila. One thing you'll see when trying to read St. John of the Cross is he does not talk a lot about methodology. And if you understand the history of St. John of the Cross, you'll, you'll, you'll see why. Because he was writing to St. Teresa's sisters, to her nuns. They already know the methodology because they were following Teresa of Avila's methodology. So before we get into St. John of the Cross more, we're going to have to get into St. Teresa of Avila. So I'm doing this episode to whet your appetite on mysticism on St. John of the Cross. Um, but I do want to give some some caveats before... You go down St. John of the Cross before I can do more episodes on him. And the first misunderstanding is this concept of longing. You know, we we talk about longing a lot in John's commentary and his poetry, and you're going to see it in a lot of mystics. They talk about that wound being a wound of longing. But we can't confuse longing with attachment. That is not good. That is the opposite of John's message. When he speaks of the hidden God and finding the hidden God, this can lead to us sitting in prayer and expecting something to happen. But no, then our mind becomes so focused on the fruits of meditation that we don't think about the union with God. So we must trust in this process of purgation, illumination, and union. And we must also, at least in the practices of the Carmelites that we're talking about, We have to trust that God's hand is in the purgative, illuminative, and unitive. So it's not really our will, but God's will. So if we sit with these preconceived notions of what we should or could happen, you know, where's my mystical experience? You know, I'm going to stare at this candle. Maybe I'll get a vision of something. We're going to miss what's in front of us. We only go further in our heads and our minds. So when we talk about longing... We can't force anything. Instead, just sit and pray. Start with those vocal and external methods, those illuminative methods, your rosaries, your chants, your Lexio Divinas, your meditation on holy texts, and then move into a prayer of quiet, sitting, expecting nothing the whole time. Just imagine that God is looking at you with love and you look back with even more love. And that's kind of the great double-edged sword of mysticism is that even the methods itself, the methods themselves, they can become attachments and they can become roadblocks. So we have to be careful. And that is why St. John of the Cross was a a spiritual director. He had one-on-one conversations with people that were reading these texts. 
because there's a lot of nuance and a lot of things from person to person that have to be discussed. The second misconception before you go off into St. John of the Cross would be what he calls the Nada Doctrine. And this is a very common doctrine across mysticism, especially expounded in Eastern mysticism, and that is this concept of non-attachment. And this is misunderstood so much. It's even misunderstood in Buddhism, uh, where it's the most often taught. When you think of non-attachment, you think of Buddhism. Now, I will say, St. John of the Cross is not a doctrine. His non-attachment is more austere. Why? Because he was writing for 14th century cloistered nuns and monks who never left the monasteries or convents. They spent all day in prayer. They could handle the austerity. That's what they were meant to do. He did write Living Flame of Love for a laywoman, but albeit she was a wealthy one who had nannies and she had the time to be a little more austere in her practice. But this concept of non-attachment, it doesn't mean we must hate the world at all. Jesus did not say go alone and pray all the time. Jesus was out in the world. It doesn't mean we shouldn't enjoy the world. In fact, and I think that's very, very, very much taught, sometimes incorrectly with St. John of the Cross. It doesn't mean we shouldn't enjoy the world. If you read St. John of the Cross, how I read it, which was just right in front of my face, I, I'm not making any kind of crazy assumptions here. He says that the wounds, the theolo theology of the wounds and longing for God, it starts with loving creation. It starts that creation and the material points to God, and that starts the process. So what does non-attachment mean? Let me put it simply. Non-attachment doesn't mean hating your family. It doesn't mean leaving your spouse or your partner. It doesn't mean hating and leaving your job. Non-attachment simply means that these things should not be the sole element of our happiness. These things should not be the sole and centrality of our joy. That's all it means. Yes, there's a line that Jesus said about hating your mother, father, brother, and sister to follow me. That's actually a little different. That more so has to do with religious persecution, but one could interpret that as well as you cannot make the external things your central point of your happiness. I really like how the great Jesuit priest and mystic, I'm calling him a mystic, Tony, you're a mystic, Anthony DeMello, who left the world too soon in the, in the late 80s, um, he described non-attachment as this. He said, we must look at this person, thing, or experience and say, when I am with you, a great symphony plays. It's my favorite symphony, and I could dance to it all day. However, if that symphony was to end, my world would not end with it because I know there are endless other symphonies out there and I can dance alongside those as well. So it's just about not making this thing the center of your life. And yes, that could be center of your happiness. I think that's how it's most understood. But also the center of our energy, the center of our thoughts, the center of our will, the center of our actions. That can also be attachment. So word of the wise, if you do go on a St. John of the Cross journey or any mystical journey, because all of the mystical writers discuss this, um, just know that non-attachment 
St. John's Nada Doctrine is what he calls it, or others call it for him. It's not about hating everything and running away. Um, there's a lot I could say about that. In fact, Francis de Sales has a lot of good stuff on that. Your vocation is a way to find God and your vocation may be in the world. Uh, Meister Eckhart talks about Mary and Martha, how Mary went to the feet of Christ. Mary Magdalene went to the feet of Christ and washed his feet while Martha was cleaning and frantic. They both found God. And a lot of people say and interpret that text of, you know, be like Mary, go and throw yourself at the feet of God. But Meister Eckhart would say, no, be like Martha too. Be like Martha and, and go out in the world and, and do your job. Martha found God as well. So just a, a word of the wise to non-attachment because it's actually a really beautiful teaching, albeit one that you do have to, to sit with for some time. So in conclusion, I know this was a bit of a tease for mysticism, and I probably spoke more on mysticism than I wanted to, but you needed the background. And I hope it didn't confuse you. <laughs> uh, but St. John of the Cross's feast day is coming up, so I wanted to honor him with this episode. And like I said, it's just an amazing piece of work. It's short. You can find it online. Um, you could probably find it with commentary online as well. And there's so much to take away. And, and also, as I've said, you know, he is the doctor of the church in mysticism. And this is not, this at least is not, you know, this big philosophical text. It's just a poem and it's beautiful. So you have the hidden God. Where is God? God is in your soul. He's in all of our souls. He's in all of creation. How do you find this God? You find him through the process of purgation illumination, and union. Then you also have the three wounds. The first wound is a longing for God. This could be a series of mystical experiences which start this craving, this longing. It could just be a sense that there's something beyond that you want and need. Or it could be being so overwhelmed by the beauty of the world that you want more. You want to see what's beyond it, which could also be that mystical experience. The second wound is knowing that God wants you as well. This could be amazing graces that you feel in your life. It could be this realization that the beauty all around us is pointing towards God, which is a little bit in the first wound. But that second wound is the understanding that God longs for us as well. Then that third wound is the transformative one, the realization that all of creation, including our souls, is this immense sea of love. So I hope you spend some time with the spiritual canticle. I hope that it brings you joy. I hope that you do read the commentary, but also just sit with it and reflect on what it might be saying to you as well. It's a very short text that's easy to find online for free. All right, let's end this episode with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. However, St. John of the Cross would say that our restless hearts are part of the path. Our restless hearts are that first wound that leads us to deeper union with you. When we see nature all around us, let us see it as fingers pointing to you. 
Let the beauty of the sky and the stars remind us of you blanketing your love over us. May the flowers and their fragrances remind us that there's an even greater fragrance of love that comes from you. The beauty of art and song may appoint to a hum and an art that exists in the background that so often we know we can hear, but we want more. Be with us. Keep us in your arms. Remind us that you exist deep down in our souls and keep pointing us towards you so that we can love you and unite with you more fully. St. John of the Cross, pray for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. A little bit of me just nerding out on a piece of my favorite writing. But I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you spend some time with this text. And remember, God is always this I don't know what behind our stammering. Thank you.